Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Mingles. For everybody on the line, I just want to introduce myself. Of course, my name is Peter. Uh, we run the, the company Network Leads PM Marketing. A lot of people know who we are, obviously, if you're on our calls. We archive this call and put it up on the web, so you'll be able to have access to it. Or if you hear something you like and you tell your downline, geez, you missed a great call, they can listen to it at any time. If they go to networkleads.com, that's our regular website, so networkleads.com, click on the Training Tools button. Inside Training Tools, you'll find something called Archived Audios, and on those archived audios, we list all our calls. This one will probably also be in the DRA site, and I'll talk about the DRA in a little bit as well. But I just wanted to let you guys know that there's a place where you can go where you can listen to these things um, at, any, at any other time. We have a, a gentleman, his name is WebGuy Scott. We affectionately call him that. And his wife, Misty, and the other people that work for him, they record our calls and then pop them up on the web. So I always like to say thanks for WebGuy Scott because he is, like, wonderful when it comes to doing that stuff even on a short-term notice, and we've never had any challenges with technology. So WebGuy Scott always does a great job. Um, but tonight, to get to the meat of the call, I have on the line with us a gentleman named Rod Cook. Now, I'm going to let him do most of the talking because you won't learn a lot by listening to me on this call. You'll learn so much more when Rod starts talking. But I'll just share with you a little bit about what I know of Rod, and he'll share with us the rest. I met Rod as a result of um, being invited. This is the first time I met him personally. I knew him through his website, so indirectly I've kind of known who he was for, for quite a while. And I, I met him as a result of a gal. Her name is Sandy Cohen, who is a Zango distributor, called me up and says, Peter, there's a really cool organization starting called the DRA, the Distributor Rights Association. And she knew I was very interested in being entrenched in the industry and helping the distributors as well as the companies as best we can. And she asked me to fly out to, to the whole organization. And as I was doing that, um, she told me who would be there. And Rod Cook was one of the names, and I had heard about him, and I had seen, you know, the stuff that he's done in the Watchdog, but it's always really great to see someone face-to-face. So I flew out there and was absolutely um, amazed on, uh, you know, the gentleman himself, his wealth of knowledge. He's fun, which is always, like, really cool, very experienced, put some stuff together, and I was highly very interested in his story because his story itself is very fascinating, and the amount of information he has on the industry is incredible. I don't know everyone in the industry, but, you know, if you needed something, at least to start, you could probably ask Rod Cook first. So he's an industry consultant. He works with a lot of companies, and he works with a lot of distributors. He he can tell you more about his stuff, but um, one of the things that I know he does is he's a founder of the DRA, the Distributor Rights Association, uh, which is something we'll talk about there on the call. But I really want to say, first of all, thanks, Rod, for being on our call, for all the great things that you do inside this industry and outside this industry. So, so thanks for taking some special time out of your evening and being here. Wow, Peter, thanks. You've got me blushing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you guys can all say you've heard the watchdog blush. There we go. And uh, it's, it, I really enjoyed the opportunities that we've had time to spend together, uh, both over the phone and in person, so I want to say that thank, you, know, thank you again. But um, tell us a little bit about, you know, Rod Cook. Let's find out a little bit about the guy. And then we'll talk about, I'm sure, two subjects on this call. One of them is going to be the DRA and the things that you're doing there, and then also about uh, the watchdog and, and your role in the industry and some of the things you observed and, and just recently participated in. Well, let me uh, uh, address the watchdog first. That uh, 
isn't really tied to my consulting business. You know, I I was a uh, combat medic in Vietnam. I went to college and struggling, starving, and I found this liquid soap, and uh, maybe I was the first person to open Japan, and it went crazy in Japan, and I made $250,000, actually $289,000 in 1969, which was well over a million dollars. I went on, went back into the Army because... They said they'd let me fly helicopters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow, I could go home at night for a warm bath. And uh, uh, so one thing I found the Army wouldn't let you do, because, you know, when you're you're an officer, you can't drive taxi cab, bartend, or sell life insurance. But they didn't know anything about MLM. So I went on, and, you know, in the 80s, I joined another company and, you know, Knock, knock down the million-dollar mark, and then in the late 80s, I was in Slick 50, uh, the engine treatment and everything, and became their top distributor and was making a lot, you know, $1.2 million or so a year, and Slick 50 went retail. Well, that's where my love came for the DRA uh, is, you know, we always have to look over our shoulder at companies, and it's not MLM. Don't ever get me wrong, you know, and if you you check the watchdog, you know, I say MLM is good. It happens. Enron, Tyson, all the other other methods we see there. So I don't think MLM should be held to any higher standard than uh, companies that steal billions instead of thousands. Um, and we do have some bad apples. So that's my major passion for the MLM watchdog is going around. And let me give you an inside story. Uh, last week I talked to New Zealand because they put out a news release that scams in New Zealand were taking over $100 million a year from people. And I thought, New Zealand? I mean, New Zealand's hardly a speck on the map. So I've been saying that MLM gets about uh, 2 million people stolen from them each year because people think they are joining an MLM company when they're not. They're joining a scam. So I said, hmm. So I've been crunching numbers. I mean, they sent me 36 pages of research they'd done. Uh, blew me away. I never saw a bureaucracy ever do that, write that much and research that much. So I'm revising, and those of you that are subscribed to the free subscription on the Watchdog, you know, you know, I've often said, you know, we lose uh, like two million to the people to the critics, and by that I'm talking. If you put MLM to any search engine, you come up with the the Scam Watch and these people that hate MLM. The first three, uh, MLM Woman is in number four, which I love her. That's one to lock. And uh, I'm number five, you know, out of uh, approximately 2,800,000 MLM sites. So my goal is to always knock those guys out because they create doubt in people's mind and steal distributors from you. 
So I'll still hang around two to three million people that those blankety blank so and so's uh, steal from you. But I am pushing up the scammers because I was saying they take about two and a half to three million, and I'm going to push that up to five million people a year in the United States that think they're doing MOM when it's actually some sort of matrix pyramid scam and rollover and, you know, you'll make a billion dollars in 13 weeks and hold your breath and the money will come rolling in and you'll just be happy forever. So that's a little bit about the watchdog and some insights of where I'm going right now as a result of of research, the little country of New Zealand just kicked my feet out from underneath me and said, wow, you know, I've underestimated the enemy uh, totally. So when you say MLM is good, you're a proponent for MLM, but what you what you can handle or what you really try to identify and bring straight up front is the people that disguise themselves as MLM but really are the scam artists or perhaps the bad people in the industry. And what happens is when people join those companies, they never really get a true taste of what you experienced when you were successful, specifically as a distributor, and now obviously deal with as a consultant. Oh, right. No, they, uh, it just totally, I've got a letter here from, uh, you're going to see it show up on the watchdog in the next few weeks from a, you know, retired senior sergeant from the Army and, and telling me how bad this MLM company was. It wasn't. It was a scam. It was a matrix scam. So uh, he got... You know, he was kind of castigating me for, you know, he was a sergeant. I was an officer for, you know, being an officer and leading him into treacherous ground, so to speak, by saying MOM was good. So, you know, I've got to renew the attack there. Absolutely. Well, so that's the watchdog. And for those people that are familiar with that, if they go to MLMWatchdog.com, they can find a, a lot of interesting articles um, there's uh, some insights and stuff that most people would just never be exposed to if they were working a specific business. And I suppose that you'd always have to, you know, just check out and ask questions and whatever if you see something, especially if your company is listed in there, because it talks about some of the stuff that happens on the inside and the outside of some companies. So um, if you're not sure, just make sure you find out the right types of information from your upline or your company or whatever, and uh, and just use the information as a barometer to be able to make some, some more inclined decisions. I know I've learned a lot of stuff that... Go ahead, Sometimes when I when I say something about an existing company that isn't terribly bad, it's just releasing news on them that they wouldn't put out in a PR release. They're okay, but what I do is give picture people a picture on the inside. You know, I first started publishing the Golden Opportunity magazine back in 1985 and 1992. You know, I uh, joined Corey Augustine, became the publisher for MLM Insider magazine, if any of you remember that. So this is just a carry-on of those, and it's a look inside the industry. Excellent. Uh, the, the person with the most information usually has a better chance of winning the game, and they could see from every side by taking a look at that site. Now let's talk about, so that was the MLMWatchdog.com. Let's talk about you as a consultant for the industry, because I know that, you and, 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 you know, the people that you work with, you've taken some companies that took a look at several different business models and maybe their existing business model, had them use uh, or apply a network marketing business model with your level of expertise, 
and holy smokes, they double, triple, quadrupled, or even maybe sometimes even more their sales. Yeah, so, one of the one of the amazing ones, you know, people say that you have to have big margins and everything, is uh, Golden Ram out of California, one of the major computer RAM producers in the United States, and we've doubled their sales and and uh, have halved their uh, general and administrative uh, model by using uh, an MLM model on it. And so that's a, that's a company that most people would never associate, I'm sure, with MLM products or services. You know, the fastest-growing fastest billion-dollar uh, MLM company in America today? Which one? Keller Williams Real Estate. Interesting. They started in 1994, and I helped them with the comp plan on the back of a napkin. So as a consultant, you'll take some companies that have products or services that might not be sold in an MLM fashion, obviously make it better when they use this as a business model. And then I know you work with tons of other companies that keep you on retainer as well. So talk to us a little bit about some of the stuff that you've done as a consultant. And then obviously as a consultant, that's going to wrap up into your recent trip with, uh, with the FDA. Well, actually, that was back to the uh, Distributor Rights Association. Okay. And, uh, you know, to basically gross over the consultant, there's a lot of people out there, you know, that call themselves consultants and everything. I just believe in winners. And uh, I don't charge too much because I want to save the money for marketing. You know, that's, you know, my basic whole thing, uh, survival. And I've probably got the most surviving MLM companies on the face of the earth of any software or MLM you know, consultant out there. That's not a brag. That's just, you know. If you're stating the facts, it's not bragging. Nope. Nope. So let's, uh, let me run into the DRA out of that because, you know, you guys, I told you, I was with Slick 50 making $1.2 million a year, and I got a letter one morning that says, Boy, your services are no longer needed. You know, this is your last check. Well, I got depressed. You know, that is really depressing. I got over it. You know, it took me about 90 days to snap out of that. And I said, well, this isn't right. So I got a lawyer, sued him and everything. And the case drug on, you know, because I... I was asking for $10 million. All of a sudden, one day, they ran in and settled it. Well, I didn't know why. Later, I found out was because Quaker State Oil Company was buying them for like a half a billion dollars, and they just wanted to dust me off. So, uh, you know, they uh, rolled over, gave me the $10 million. Tax load on that is pretty hard. And besides that, I like to be a good guy, so I shared it with my downline. Uh, they hadn't joined the suit or anything, but that was actually the birth of the DRA, which was going out and teaching some of the people I learned, you know, uh, the things I learned from being terminated out of, you know, $1.2 bucks a year. Hurts. Yeah, well, absolutely, because obviously I, I know the way you build your businesses and then also the way you run your thing. You run it with integrity and everything else like that, and it's not just you. It's the repercussions and the ripple effect of everybody else in the business. Oh, You're, and it gives people a bad taste for it, and you, you yourself got a taste of it, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. So, brutal. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about uh, the DRA. 
the concept was the Distributor Rights Association, and, and I know you've worked that with Cheryl Gonzalez and lots of other people that helped you form that, but tell us a little bit about, from a layman's perspective, what the DRA is about. Well, all the policies and procedures you sign are a contract. There's a thing you sign, uh, the sign-up sheet, but then it says that the policies and procedures, which can be any place from 9 to 50 pages behind it, are all a contract. So, number one, we teach people to read it, you know, and find the little clauses in there that are not good, and uh, that's a self-protection education. The other thing we do is uh, we're putting out a book, um, which we keep putting learning experiences in, of what distributors should watch out for and how to protect themselves. Now let's that's a work in progress. Let's talk about that for a second because most distributors never know any of this stuff is going on. But obviously with the person you are being the consultant in the industry, you have a tendency of uh, attracting more of those stories. So what, so some people might say, what do you mean? Why do you even need a, a, a distributor rights association? Uh, why do you even have to worry about reading the contract? The distributor, when I signed up, the guy just said, check here, you know, and sign here, and then they whisked it away. And, you, you know, no one even thinks about that stuff a little bit later on. But tell us about some of the stories the DRA will probably protect people from. Well, you know, the problem is when you start making money, other people want it. So, you know, if you're making $2,500 a month, you probably don't have anything to worry about. If you're making 5000 you may appear on a horizon. 10000 oh, you're getting into the player league. 20000 a month, you are targeted. You know, and at fifty thousand and up, where we where we had all really love to get, it's uh, out here at like ground zero, and the company decides uh, that they want to, you know, they need to increase their earnings, or the boss wants a new car, or um, one of the worst is all companies plateau, and that means they stop growing. That's not MLM. That's all industries, car industries, steel manufacturing, banking, everything. Every company has to plateau. There's only a certain growth rate. Well, the company's geared up for growth, and they've got a lot of people around to handle phone calls and everything. It slacks off. Those people in the office love, you know, they see the boss every day. They run around bringing brownies policy shoes, everybody stands up and salutes them as they come in in the morning. So they have a preference for the uh, the their staff. So when it comes time, well, let's see, we need to cover cut our overhead or we can cut commissions to the field. Guess who wins out? The shoe shiners and the brownie bringers. And these aren't just stories you're making up. These are examples that I don't need to know the specific examples, but things that you can probably cite. Oh, I could I could attach company names to these. I mean, I'm not. You know, some some companies are still around. Some have made mistakes, survived, and some are gone. Right. So the DRA is going to help the uh, distributor um, with understanding his or her rights and probably prevent themselves from making some of the tragic mistakes. And I know um, I, when I went to um, Las Vegas, I guess, a year or two ago when we did the first meeting for the DRA, 
I was nominated as the executive director of education, and I did some educational interviews with a lot of the major attorneys. Um, I won't worry about naming them, but there's David Eisenstein, there's uh, Jerry Nira, there's um, Scott Warren, there was a few other people. Corey Lewis over is in Canada. We had a few other people. If I'm forgetting them right now, it's only because I'm just forgetting their names. But um, we did those types of things. We had major uh, leaders like uh, Sandy Greenberg, and we had other people, consultants. We had coaches, all that sort of stuff on the educational interviews. So it really is a wealth of information for people they've been able to go to. Plus, there's a forum there where if somebody's having a challenge, maybe they can get some help and some guidance. So if somebody wanted to join the DRA, how did they or learn more about it? How do they go about doing that? I just go to uh, www.mom-dra.com. That's www. Did I throw in an extra W there? No, you're okay. Oh, okay. M-O-M-D-R-A. And DRA is short for Distributor Rights Association. And it's not a union. It's a more of an educational uh, platform. So uh, Peter's taken on a, a big, heavy workload here. And uh, it's getting the word out to the field that, yes, there are other ways of doing businesses than the companies have developed. Like, for instance, when you, when you join a company, if you've got enough people and you're in that arena that you might be a target area, uh, the book we're putting out's got sample uh, contracts in it that you can have the company sign to make exceptions to their uh, contract and policies and procedures. And, you know, that's pretty simple. If they don't want to meet your contract, like says, uh, you know, one says, I won't be terminated. Or if I'm terminated, um, I can sue you. What's, what's that? Because right now, if you read most of your uh, contracts, they say you've got to go through arbitration, and now arbitration costs $30,000 minimum, which is about what it costs for a court case. And uh, the companies push arbitration because they know when they get into a courtroom in front of a jury, they're dead. That's true. In most of the cases, I'm sure that's probably true. So the DRA is a wonderful organization. It's still, it's still uh, growing. You're going to have a book come out um, that will be passed to different people, so they'll kind of learn a lot about MLM, because I've been through arbitration before, and uh, we were educating the arbitrator, which was pretty scary. So we're educating him on what this whole business model is all about. So this is going to level the playing field for both the company as well as the distributors and help educate a whole bunch of other people. So the DRA is something you can join. I think, Rod, it's $50 a year if you're just a member, a couple of bucks more than that if you're going to be a corporate distributor. And support your industry, of course, is tax deductible. Plus, I think you get access to stuff on the back end and the inside that you normally wouldn't have. So join the DRA if you're, if you're listening in. It, you'll, you'll find the wealth of information. Now let's talk about you as a consultant and some of the things that uh, you've recently done because this is some the things that you're probably going to talk about in the next few minutes are stuff we would never hear about if we well, didn't have access actually, to you. Actually, the, uh, the uh, uh, battle going on now isn't in the consultant arena. That's in the distributor rights arena, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm doing that. I'm speaking for the DRA because right now, although we aren't the biggest, uh, you know, uh, organization in the world we have we represent uh, just about as many distributors as the DSA 
Now, any of you, I'm not breaking the DSA, but they are a company organization, and their distributor rights are the primarily that you can return product and get your money back. That's about it. Uh, so the DRA, we're tangling into some real hot subjects and representing the DRA. Uh, I went out with uh, Dr. Whitaker, the Whitaker newsletter, uh, Dr. Simone, he's an oncologist that uh, basically said, why are we poisoning people to stop cancer when we can do it before it starts with nutrition? And, of course, Doc Wallach, you know him, he's been suing the FDA, he and Dr. Whitaker. So, uh, I mean, they've been dropping a quarter of a million bucks to uh, sue the FDA to let the truth be said. And let me kind of walk you through it. Today, there's so much research being done on nutritional products. In the last two years, it's just totally, completely exploded. And there's uh, universities doing research, major medical centers, uh, uh, individual research groups that are doing legitimate, double-blind studies on nutrition. Let me give you an example of what the FDA did. Dr. Whitaker and Dr. Wallach submitted a health claim for omega-3, and we're hearing all hearing about omega-3. The FDA was supposed to approve that in one year, 365 days. The pile of evidence, scientific evidence about it, was five feet tall. You know, came under my armpit and completely, uh, thoroughly, solidly done scientific evidence. You know, it's like if you read it, you say, uh, if you don't drink omega-3, you'll, you know, take a teaspoon a day, you'll die. Well, the FDA went a year and a half hoodling around with it, burying it someplace. So those, these two don't take no for an answer, so they went off, and that's what I, I said. They spent a quarter of a million dollars suing the FDA. Selenium, there's proof that certain kinds of cancer, uh, including lung, stomach, um, and uh, prostate, that selenium reduces cancer rates by 40%. And some studies say 60%, and some say eliminate. So they wouldn't approve it. Doc Wallach had to sue them. So uh, remember Doc Wallach, dead doctors don't lie, Tate? Uh, I mean, I appreciate the man. He puts his money where his mouth is. So the struggle we're in right now is the FDA redefined the meaning of a health claim, limiting speech. We can't use scientific evidence. We've got to have definitive evidence. What's definitive evidence mean? The FDA uses it because definitive evidence can't be produced. 
drug companies that never get a drug approved if they had to give definitive evidence, yet they applied that standard as a double-speak, a bureaucratic BS thing on, on uh, uh, what we can say about nutritionals. Lycopene, right now, there are 300 days. Now, you've heard the, the about lycopene, you know, cutting prostate cancer in half and lung cancer in half and brain cancer in half and everything. They postponed it five times, and it's 300 days over the original due date. And this is after Whitaker, Thompson, Wallach, and others had a court order, a federal court order telling the FDA, you have to abide by the timelines. So the FDI also refuses uh, DSHA labeling excuse, exclusions for third-party literature. And that means that, that uh, MLMers, now in a health food store, if you go in the front, the books are usually up there. And they'll say, okay, lycopene does great wonders and thunders. The lycopene extracts are on back shelves behind it, at least 50 feet away. If they took that book and put it on a shelf with the lycopene, the feds, the FDA, could come in and raid the place with machine guns and handcuffs. So what they're saying is MLM can't distribute third-party literature. And that's another case that uh, Dr. Wallach took to uh, took to court on magnesium. You know, and that magnesium's a brain food, and it you know helps prevent cancer and other things. And he wanted to use a uh, statement out of the PDR for just plain magnesium. The FDA said no and threw it out. So he sued him. And a judge came back and said the FDA was nuts. Love it. But they don't care. They just keep plodding on despite what judges say or the laws say. They just keep going on and say, hey, we work for the big drug companies, boy, and there's nothing we can, can do. So what we're working on right now, and that's what I flew up to Washington last week, and let me give you some insights. I worked on the, uh, I was a member of a small group, National Association of Collegiate Veterans, that worked on the Vietnam Veterans GI Bill back in 1969, 1970. I worked on the Hill, you know, promoted that and everything. I ended up working for the Senate Veterans uh, Committee on a work study grant and uh, helped write part of 92-540, the GI Bill. So, you know, that's kind of home up there. It was like deja vu. I was up there last week, went in. The first thing you do is you talk to the staffers. Well, the staff of Senator Ron Paul, who's out of Dallas here in Texas, uh, said, wow, this is really criminal what the FDA is doing. So they arranged a lunchtime hearing by Congressional House of Representatives um, 
staffers, and when I say staffers, you know, each congressman's got so many people and they handle different subjects. And we put uh, about 35 people in the room, and another 10 drifted in and out. But here's a secret inside measurement to give you a little bit of, um, you know, how the hill works. We had 40 box watches outside the door because that's what you advertise, you know, that, you know, come here to this, get a box launch, and so you don't starve to death, and you do it during lunchtime. So we have about 40 people in there. Our guys talked for a half hour, and that was Dr. Whitaker, Dr. Simone, and uh, Jonathan Emord, who is one of the greatest uh, FDA attorneys in the world. I mean, he takes no slack from these people. And uh, 30 minutes and 30 minutes for question. All 40 people stayed in there for the question period. When we were done and they went out the door after one hour, there were only 20 box launches gone. So that meant the majority of them were there to hear the truth about the FDA being scumbags. Oh, and it also includes the FTC, who are handmaidens, you know, and come out and uh, arrest distributors and companies. Um, they actually do the police action. And it was amazing. I mean, you guys, I know the Hill. I'm standing there, you know, because I expected all the box launches to disappear. And half of them were still there. Those people did not come for a free launch. Remember the old thing, Planet Earth, Constoffel, there ain't no such thing as a free launch? That's right. Yeah, these guys were there for the real thing, and the questions they asked during the hearing were just absolutely piercing. You know, and they weren't an attack. They were more along the line. So we walked out of there and going, woo, I'm going, woo, woo. And so this Monday, you know, we got a pullback, and there's people that have been calling Senator Ron Paul's office endlessly. Not the not the 40, 40 that were there, or even the half that didn't collect the You know, it's like this thing is on a roll, because on top of the Vioxx thing, everybody realizes the FDA is a bunch of criminals bought off by the drug company, you know. If you've got a $180,000 job with the FDA, spend three years there and you'll go out and work for 360000 a year for a drug company. And that's where the big suck comes from. Another thing we're fighting against and need your help for is the uh, drug company can put 28 lobbyist on the Hill for every congressman and Senate. That's 437 congressmen and 100 senators. They can put three people on top of each one because they give so much money for the vote. So this has got to be a grassroots thing like we did with Deshaies the Dietary Supplementary Education Act of 1954, and just go back and, and uh, say, folks, you've got to tell the truth.
nutritional affairs too much power, we have the ability to save people's lives. My motto is, do good, make money. And gang, the FDA is killing people. And if you're a watchdog subscriber or drop by there, you know, you've seen my article. I think I reprinted. I did reprint from 1998 when the MLM Insider was published. But turn the FDA over to the Pentagon. Because if you had people in the military, generals, killing as many people as the FDA does, they'd take them out in the courtyard of the Pentagon and hang them at dawn. So, uh, Interesting information. And I'm sure for some people um, with their belief system, they're not sure how to handle that information just yet. But the more you learn about the way these things work, the more you have a tendency, at least me personally, have a tendency to see some of the discrepancies inside the system. And I wonder who's who's being rewarded by doing some of the stuff they do. Rod, I wonder if there's any correlation, at least your contributing factor, to your meeting and the FDA chief resigning unexpectedly. As I'm looking at the headlines from Saturday, uh, September 24th in my local news magazine, there was a little article that the Embattled Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Lester Crawford resigned Friday, telling his staff it was time to step aside. Well, we think it was one of two things. Number one, he didn't want to go along with the big drug line. He finally drew a, drew a line in the sand. And the other thing is that he didn't want to... Uh, uh, do a full release on the uh, uh, birth control pill the same day. Um, I forget what it's called, but the same day. Uh, the morning after contraception. The morning after contraception that he stalled that. And when that happens, you know, what we see in, in politics today is dirty politics. We think they went out and found something on him. He had some dirty tracks. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows? But it's the, com- it, the combination of two. But number one, a cross big drug company. It, it's it's an interesting and dynamic thing. Now, the the good thing about that is there's a an army that is not really very silent uh, anymore. Meaning the people that are in the MLM companies that are out there educating people, albeit maybe not by the rules, but they're out there doing it and they're helping to save people's lives by pushing the nutritional products they're in. So oh, that's one of the another one of the reasons I defend MLM. The nutritional industry wouldn't exist today if it if it wasn't for like California Vitamins starting MLM in 1945. Today, Americans are living longer. Nobody knows why except us that are on this call, and it's a fact that MLM companies starting in 1945 started going person to person and spreading the word about nutritionals. So, you know, I'll give the MLM company uh, credit with uh, pushing the lifespan of American male and female, uh, you know, up to where it is today. Absolutely. Well, because of the education factor of the one-on-one presentation that sometimes people do, and maybe maybe we do sometimes put the book too close to the bottle, to use your example. But uh, you just wonder who's being rewarded by whatever they're doing. So You know what? That's a good analogy. That's super. Because we're saying if it's a truthful book, if there's scientific research that proves it, uh, we can't 
on anything. You can't say beyond a doubt. But if the probability of index says that a nutritional product does something good, we should be allowed to use it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so let me get let me give the website right now for petitions, and um, that is www.emord, like the roundtable emord, e m o r d dot com. So it's www.emord.com. Yes. And then what happens when you go there? Uh, there will be a petition for you to put out to people to sign and send to your congressmen and senators. And if the if the people had their way that were in power, what would they allow us to say or the distributors say about a nutritional product? Well, we should be allowed, uh, like the selenium claim. I mean, clear, definitive evidence. We're men. I think the, I think there was one lady joined in on the call, but I think most of the guys on here, you know, and half of the people in the United States get some form of dysplasia or prostate cancer, uh, and golly, selenium cuts that in half. Well, golly, I'd rather have my odds be be 50% than 100%. Every time. But if it was up to the present level of authorities, how much of that would you be able to say? Probably Zero. nothing. Zero. It ha it would have to be to definitive proof, which means there's absolutely no question about it, that if somebody did a study and it didn't end up with a good result, if there's 99 good studies and one bad study, they'd say the bad study overrides the other 99. It's an interesting concept. People have to make up their own minds um, in the process of waiting until all this stuff shakes out. But I'm sure as a result of the things that you're doing, the things that other people like Dr. Wallach and those other doctors you had mentioned they're doing, that um, that there's some ground being gained. In the well, and uh, it takes everybody on this conference call to go to their company. You know, we've had several big companies sign on in the last week. And several big organizations say, "Hey, wow! Why didn't we think of that? Just go, just go for truth, and make them do it instead of stalling." It was in Deshay, it was in the law, but it wasn't well defined. It gave them 365 days. Now, their bureaucratic thing is, "Well, we'll drag it on for five or ten years," and 